hello, crew. I'm going to try to make this a little taller if I can. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, man, thanks so much for sharing, Jordan. Yeah, if you don't know him already, you should. He's such a cool person. Um, guys, we're so glad that you're here, whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us um, a bunch over the years. It's so fun to see the room so full and just to get to see you all here. So um, I know some of you in the room are freshmen and you just came out of high school. And maybe for some of you, you'd like nothing better than just to forget, forget all about those four years, to pretend like they didn't happen. And some of you loved it, and that's great too. But I do want to talk about high school for a minute because our topic tonight is community. And high school is, I think, the place where you can most vividly see, like with your eyes, who belongs to what community, right? Um, usually it's just based on how people are dressed or who's hanging out together, but unless you're Eric and you went to a school with only like 20 people in your high school class, usually it's enough people that people divide into groups and you can see like, oh, you've got the athletes over here wearing jerseys on Friday nights and you've got um, the people in the band over here sitting together at lunch and, even those people who seemingly say, forget community, forget the whole world. When I was in high school, we called that like goth. I don't know what that's called today, but there was never just one of them, right? There was always even just a little group of them that even in the midst of trying to be like, forget community, they found a community with other people who were trying to do the same thing. Um, and I think community is one of those things, man, we just can't get away from trying for it. And I think it's because we are created for it. It's actually built in to who we are as people. And last week, uh, Nick, my husband, talked about kind of some of the true story of the whole world and a little bit about how the whole Bible fits together and is one big story. And tonight, I actually want to look at community in the same way. How do we see community move along in the story of scripture. If the story of the whole world is like a tapestry, community is like one thread that runs from the beginning to the end, from the first pages of Genesis all the way to Revelation. So tonight we'll look at three different kind of acts in the biblical drama that have to do with community. In act one, we're going to see that we really are, man, we're created for community. We're designed for it. In Act 2, we're going to see that even though we're designed for it, man, our experience of community is super broken. It is not at all the way that it's supposed to be. And then in Act 3, we're going to see that we've been made into a brand new community in Christ. And we'll talk about what that should look like and could look like in each of our lives. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father, I do just ask that tonight, um, even just in this room, each one of us would have soft hearts, um, that we'd be willing to examine, yeah, our own selves, our own hearts, our own actions, um, our hearts towards you, our hearts towards others and that you would give us a picture of community that just looks so sweet and so desirable. 
um, that you would move us even past some of our obstacles or the things that hold us back, and you'd give us motivation to seek after one another in the way that you've sought after us. Um, we love you, Lord, and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Act 1 begins on the very first pages of your Bible. So if you've got a Bible in front of you or if you've got one on your phone, you can literally flip it open to probably like the second page because it will be in Genesis 1, which is the first book of the Bible and the first chapter. And I want to look at the very moment when God creates people, when he creates human beings. And by the way, um, whether or not Genesis was like a literal seven days or, you know, God superintended evolution, none of that is in our purview tonight. Um, either way, we're going to look at scripture and draw some conclusions about God and people that are true. So I'm going to start in verse 26 and just read a couple verses. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's a clue in what we just read that points to the biggest reason why we have this deep longing for community. It's because we were created by a God who is a community, right? Even just him within himself is a community. Because the Christian God is not a single person God. He's three persons in one. Something that we call the Trinity. It's very hard to wrap our minds around how, how a God could be one God in three persons, but man, huge implications, super practical implications for us if we can understand what this means a little better. Because just as we just read, you and I, every single person in this room, was made in the image of God, which means we're made to be kind of like him and to reflect him to the rest of the world. And so just maybe like a Trinity 101, maybe the first thing to know about the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they have this close-knit, intimate, and mysterious, but beautiful relationship with one another. It says that before the earth was even created, before any of us were here anything, that God the Father was loving God the Son. It says that God the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. He has a lot of different roles, but one thing that he does is he, it's like he shines a spotlight on Jesus and even stirs up love for him in our own hearts. So we have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in this intimate and loving and beautiful relationship, even if it is pretty hard to understand. And by the way, this is how we can say that God is love. The Bible actually says that. It says that God is love. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but no other God can ever claim that. Because imagine a single person God who says, I'm love. 
Before you created anyone, before any of this was here, who are you claiming to love? You're all alone. You're a single person, which if you are loving, makes you pretty dependent on your creation in order to have something or someone to love. Just the mere fact that our God is three persons in one means that he can say, I am love. And I didn't create you because I needed you or because I wanted something from you. I'm, I'm so loved just in and of myself that it was the love that was pouring out of this relationship that brought you here. That I wanted to create all of you out of the abundance and overflow of the love that was already happening in the Trinity. It's, it's crazy mind-blowing stuff. And later in the first pages of Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. So these are the very first two people on earth. So they've been created, and it says that they're naked and unashamed. I really think this has less to do with nudity or sexuality than it does, man, it's a way to convey the openness and the intimacy and the trust that existed between them that they got to experience with God and with one another. So nakedness and clothing aside, just think for a minute, what does it mean to be even metaphorically or emotionally naked in front of someone. Like, you, you can say anything. You don't have to hold anything back. No matter what you say or confide, you're gonna be met with understanding, acceptance, love. There's no self-doubt. There's no fear of saying or doing the wrong thing. There's no striving to become someone worthy of love. There's none of that. It's only just being fully known and fully loved. That picture of community is what we're all created for. It's why our hearts long for it. I think it's why there's so many TV shows that have a, a group of friends right at its center. Because we watch those and we look at that and we say, oh, if only I had a group of friends that were that close, that would accept me no matter what, that I could tell anything to, that I could grow alongside. But our experience is very different, isn't it? And that brings us to act two. Man, I don't know about you, but my experience of community has just been super broken and not at all the way it's been supposed to be. Instead of the experience like Adam and Eve before the fall, it's much more like Adam and Eve after the fall, where after they disobeyed God, their eyes were opened and they immediately tried to cover themselves up. They felt shame and they tried to hide and withdraw. That's what we do often. We distrust others, we experience shame. I experience a lot of fear of doing or saying things. I, I don't know about you, I'm one of those people, it's part of like one of the personality tests I've taken, but I'm one of those people that will feel shame and regret of things I've done even years in the past. Those things will continually pop up and haunt me. Many of us are anxious, and I so appreciate Jordan even sharing that about his story, because man, I think that's so many of us in this room. We deal with things like anxiety or depression that keep us from moving towards others, or that hinder us from feeling like we can really connect with other people. 
and actually do, I want to talk about mental health for a minute because I think as a lot of us recognize and some of us experience, man, it's one of the biggest threats to our community at large, even just to the whole community on our campuses. About three out of every 10 high school students right now say, say that they experience poor mental health most or all of the time. About 44% of people surveyed say that they felt sad or hopeless almost every day for at least two weeks in a row, and that it causes them to stop doing things they would have normally done. About 70% of teens say that anxiety and depression are a major problem in their own friend group and community. And many of us experience this too. I've never experienced anxiety, but I have dealt with depression at different times in my life. And, you know, sometimes it was really clear where it was coming from. I had undiagnosed PTSD for years. But other times, man, it's out of the blue. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know why I feel like I'm at the bottom of a, of a dark well or, or, you know, in a hole and, and everything's just covered in gloom and doom. I, and that's the most frustrating, right? When you don't even know why this is happening. But what I've noticed and why I think especially, like, depression is particularly sneaky and threatening is because it makes you want to do the things that you it's like the worst thing you could do in that situation. Those are the things that it makes you want to do. Because for me, when I'm depressed, I want to withdraw. I want to um, sleep. <laughs> I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to try. I don't want to join in. Um, if a group of people are going somewhere, I find a lot of excuses not to do that thing with them. And I particularly don't want to be in a situation where I'll have to fake or, or seem like I'm feeling happier than what I am. And all of these things to me have felt really obvious of why I'd want to withdraw. And that's because, I don't know about you, my impression of what a community should be like is often just totally off. I, I think about those shows like Friends or Community is actually one of my favorite shows. Um, I think about those shows where even if everyone's not like super happy all the time, they're at least happy most of the time. And even if they're not happy, they're interesting and interested in things and um, they're living their lives, they're engaging. And I feel like, what if I don't feel any of that? What if I don't conform to that picture of community? I can't come around when I'm feeling like that. I'm just gonna be a burden. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants me around if I'm feeling that way. And so I withdraw in the very moments when I need to engage. But that's actually not at all the picture of community that we're called into. And this actually moves us to Act 3, that man, we've been made into a whole new community in Christ. And one thing I love about the Bible is it does not sugarcoat things. <laughs> if you look at, at the Bible or even at pictures of community, it does not assume that you're going to be like happy-go-lucky, like, yep, totally ready to just walk with the Lord and like love other people all the time. It doesn't assume that at all. 
There are real stories and pictures of people in scripture all over the place who are in pain, who feel alone, who are even talking and praying to God, admitting that they don't feel like he's there, that they're in the depths of despair. And that's actually why the Bible tells you so many times to like love one another, come alongside one another, bear each other's burdens, encourage each other, help each other, build each other up. The one another phrase is actually used about a hundred times just in the New Testament. And one of my favorites is carry another's burdens. And it's, it's, it's not carry someone's load, because it actually talks about that somewhere too. It's not like I'm going to take over all your responsibilities and do everything for you that you need to be doing on like a daily basis. Like I'm not about to do your homework every day. But sometimes, man, we have burdens, and that word, it means something too heavy for you to carry. We have stuff that's too heavy for us to carry. And if you haven't experienced something like that already, I know you will. It's just part of this life. Even the most devout followers of God in the Bible, they experienced things like that. They needed community. And the community is, that we've been called into is one where we don't expect everyone to be perfect. We don't expect everyone to be happy all the time. But we know that if there's loss, or a burden you can't carry, that we're supposed to come alongside and help. We're supposed to rejoice with those who's, who rejoice, to enter into their feelings of gladness, but we're also supposed to weep with those who weep and to enter into their feelings of sadness or loss or grief. Our community is one that's supposed to be ready to offer hope and prayer and help and love and just being there with people when they need it. And it's all to reflect Christ in the way that he's loved us. We have a God who doesn't expect us to be perfect, doesn't expect that we would even come to him in prayer with everything all together. In fact, I know some of you do this, and I do this too. When I come to God in prayer, I put on my best face for him. It's sort of this gut reaction that we have to look better than we are to other people, but also even to the Lord. And it's really one of the stupidest things that we could probably do because God knows everything. He knows us way better than we know ourselves. He knows what's going on in our minds and hearts. Why do we come to him in our spiritualizing way, trying to put a good face on things? We actually have a savior who entered into every single hardship, struggle, and temptation that we've experienced and did it so that he could tell us, hey, I've done all of that. I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what you mean. You don't have to be all together to come to me. In fact, you'll never be all together. So come to me. I know what that's like. I know what you're feeling. This picture of community is a really beautiful one, and I like Colossians 3, where it kind of talks about it. It says, I like it, it says, put on, as if you're putting on a robe or something. 
put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And later on it says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is a beautiful picture of the new community that we're called into once we know Christ. And you'll notice, even in this description that just seems almost too good to be true, it's not assuming our perfection. It's actually assuming that we're going to sin. It's assuming that we're going to mess up and wrong one another. And that's why it says, hey, when someone has a complaint, forgive each other. In the same way that Christ forgave you. Because God knows how broken we are. And yet, even though we experience the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of community, we're called into this picture of it. We're met for so much more than we sometimes settle for when it comes to community. And thinking about even just being able to forgive someone as Christ forgave us, as this calls us to do, I think the only way that this is at all doable is if we truly know and love Jesus. If we don't just know him, if we don't just go to church or come here or whatever, but if we truly love and treasure Jesus, it's because we've recognized that we need him. We are broken. We're sinful. The only way you're going to treasure and delight in Jesus as your Savior is if the truth of that has come home to you. And that's the only way that we're able to forgive other people easily. He, he makes it sound so easy. Forgive, and you know, forgive each other the way Christ forgave you. There's no talking us into it. There's, there's very little motivation even given other than Jesus forgave you. Implicitly, what he's saying is, you've been forgiven yourself of a heck of a lot more. Whatever the complaint is, whatever sprung up between you, you have more than enough reason to forgive because you're a forgiven person. Christ has forgiven you and accepted you. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I remember talking to one of my friends. Um, oh, by the way, I shot a machine gun out of a helicopter because I used to be in the military. That's what Jared shared about me earlier. And so I remember talking to some of the guys in my unit after I came to the Lord. And I remember just trying to talk about, you know, my new faith in Christ and like feeling them out and like, so you got any kind of spiritual background or anything like that? And one of them just shut me down pretty fast and said, that's private. Maybe, but that's private. Ooh, okay, so I backed off because I'm not gonna push. But what I wanted to say was, it's meant to be personal. Our relationship with the Lord is not meant to be private. Not at all. Or if you've ever been one of those people who who's said things like, I don't really need to be a part of a church. Um, I, don't, I don't really need to like, be a part of this Christian community. Like, why can't I just read my Bible on my own? I, I don't need all that to know God, right? Like, I can go it alone. I can have a thriving relationship with God without any of this other stuff. 
Why would sitting down and listening to someone in church every week make that any different? And if that's you, I would just say, beware. (laughs) Because, oh yes, you do need to be part of a Christian community. The entire Bible would argue with you on that point. Because the entire Bible is assuming that this life is going to be full of challenges in all different forms, that we're going to experience the brokenness of this world if we haven't already. And in those moments when push comes to shove and I don't know what to do or or where to turn to and, and my walk with the Lord feels flat or I'm carrying something that's too heavy, we need each other. We need each other. We need each other to encourage. I need someone to to remind me what's true when I've lost sight of it. When I'm comparing myself to someone else and finding myself wanting, I need somebody to remind me that my identity is in Christ. It has nothing to do with that person, what he or she can do better than me. I need someone to remind me that when this life feels bleak or hopeless, that this life isn't all there is. And one day, if we're in Christ, man, it's all going to seem so light and momentary, gone in a flash, that we're looking forward to a hope of heaven and being with God after this life that's going to make all of this seem pretty small. I need people to remind me of that, and so do you. So I just have three last things, maybe challenges you might want to call them. I have three things I want you to consider doing in order to move closer towards this kind of community that, hey, you've already been called into. God already expects you to do this, to move towards people and get to experience this on a deeper level. And the first thing is, hey, if you haven't already, why not join a community group? Like, Coming here is awesome. We're so glad you're here at the weekly gathering, but I'll be honest, community group is where it's at. That's where you get to meet in like a much smaller group. You get to dive into the Bible together. You get to bring up like your own stuff. Like like when you have questions about a passage that you're reading, you get to be like, wait, I have a question about this. I've never understood this. Or what does it actually look like to do this in a real scenario? Or hey, I'm struggling. Would you guys pray for me? They also do a lot of fun things outside of community group. The second one is, man, how about take the initiative with even just one person this week? Maybe it's someone from your community group or maybe it's someone you've met here. You know, it's funny, I, as someone on crew staff, I spend a lot of time like reaching out to, to you guys and being like, hey, do you wanna get coffee? I'd love to connect and get to know you. And people act like it's weird. Like, people are like, why would you, like, what do you want to talk about? Like, why do you want to get to know me? And I'm kind of like, why is this so, I, I feel like this is what we should all be doing all the time, isn't it? You just want to say, like, hi to me on Thursday nights and that's it? That's your idea of community? Because that's weak sauce. We should be diving into each other's lives in a real way, sharing what's actually going on, encouraging each other, and opening up. So take the initiative with at least one person. And if you can, maybe get past the surface level stuff. 
Not just like, what do you major in or where are you from? How about, what's been the hardest thing about coming to college so far? Hey, I know a lot of people just struggle when they come. They feel kind of lonely. They've lost their whole community in high school. Like, you feel that at all? How are you really doing? And the third thing I want to challenge you to do, Elena and Jared already talked about it and hyped it up a lot, but yeah, it's just come to first year getaway. I always say that it sounds like it wouldn't, <laughs> should I say this up here? It sounds like it wouldn't be fun because you're staying up really late and I don't know, like we're not doing water slides or anything. It's just like a bunch of people playing a bunch of games and getting to know one another and eating a million snacks. And actually it is really fun, but you know what I mean? It's not like a theme park, but man, it every year, it's just one of those things where people leave and they're like, oh, those are my people now. I like, yeah, I met actual friends. I made real connections. And like Alana said, stuff comes out of your mouth at 3 a.m. It just doesn't happen at like 9. So come to first year getaway. Even if you don't know a single person going, I guarantee you won't be the only person who doesn't know anyone. And the whole night, and by the way, it's just one night. The whole night is designed to help you guys connect and to see this kind of stuff happen, to see people actually experience community in the way that we're called to and experience and give love in the way that Christ loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you that you have designed us to be like you that you love us, and God, that, man, think about, when you talk about giving us the Holy Spirit, and you say that we don't have a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control, and I just think about the spirit of fear that might be at work in some of us, the spirit of fear that rears its ugly head when we are wanting to go deeper. Maybe we're wanting to say that thing, or we're wanting to be vulnerable, or we're wanting to initiate, and we hold back because the spirit of fear just takes over. It's just not comfortable. What if I get rejected? What if it doesn't turn out quite how I'm hoping? And Father, I just want to remind everyone here that we have the Holy Spirit. If we're in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And that's not a spirit of fear, but one of power and love. And God, if anyone's here tonight and they're not a Christian, Father, I just pray that you would... Um, even show them what this looks like. Not even, not just by words that I've said tonight, but that, man, you would bring people into their lives who be able to actually show them your love, come alongside them, and love them the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.